who's listening out there. I am Jessica Summersall, podcast coordinator for CFRC 101.9 FM. And today we have a special guest sitting here with me on Zoom right now is Charlotte Braille and Maddie Ray, this year's directors for Project Red's charity fashion show. This year, Project Red will be shown in a completely new way. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Maddie. How are you guys doing? Hey, we're doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Um, So for our listeners who don't know, what is Project Red? So Project Red is a student-run Queens-affiliated club, and our purpose is to raise funds for the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada and also promote healthy, active living on campus. Um, We do this through various fundraisers throughout the year, but most people know us for our annual charity fashion show, which is typically at the end of second semester. So how has this pandemic altered your plans and expectations for Project Red this year? Um, the pandemic definitely altered it in countless ways. Um, normally, all of our fundraisers are in person, whether they're like selling things in the arc or our fashion show is normally an in-person event. Um, this year, we had to find a different space. We used different people and um, organizations to help us plan it. For example, like Project Red's never needed to hire a videographer before, but since it's not in person, that's what we had to do. So it's been very different. Wow, yeah. And so then what were some of the challenging experiences during the planning process uh, this year? Honestly, I would say that we reinvented all of our fundraisers. Um, Yeah, we tried to keep most of them as similar as we could to like the traditional ways that we normally host them. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also like started completely new ones. Like for example, we normally have a fundraiser called Models and Bottles, which yeah. is held at a bar. But um, obviously that did not happen this year. So we replaced that with a mask sale, which actually did pretty well. So yeah, we reinvented a bunch of them and also came up with a couple new ones. And it turned out successfully as one of the models. You guys did amazing, an amazing job at the time that we, you guys had. So what is this year's theme and how did you guys come up with the inspiration for it? Um, So this year's theme uh, is momentum uh, which to us means just driving forward and moving over obstacles and working just to see the light at the end of the tunnel when things get difficult Um, and we actually worked with our creative director Amalia to come up with it. She proposed the idea of momentum uh, in her hiring interview and it just sparked something in us and stayed with us when we went to go create the theme. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we wanted the theme to be something that everyone could relate to including like with the Heart and Stroke Foundation but also with the pandemic and everything that was going on yeah that's very fitting and definitely inspirational in the sense where like we even though we're in this time right now we can definitely like get past it it's not this is not going to yeah. be forever yeah we wanted something to kind of inspire our whole team to just keep pushing forward and stay motivated because we wanted this to turn out. So yeah. the model of the year, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, so then what was, was there a different uh, hiring process for this year for like the models, the designers, the musicians? So we actually don't hire the models, designers and musicians and dancers. That is all people on our executive team that handle that. But um, we did kind of watch the process go down. Um, and we, both Maddie and I, are models ourselves, so we went through the audition process yeah. of a model. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty similar. I think they all did very similar audition processes. Um, 
but virtually. So we sent in audition tapes and answered questions through a video, which I think took less pressure off people. Just I definitely did, yeah. Hmm. Being one of the models, it definitely, it definitely took a lot of pressure off of like having three or four uh, judges, model choreographers, hmm. mocos, um, watch you in a line of like 10 people walking back and forth. The pressure yeah. was definitely kind of lifted. I guess that's a positive. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. So usually PR, Project Red, has a marathon to raise money for the Heart and Stroke Foundation alongside the proceeds from the actual fashion show. How did you guys alter this tradition and what did the that process look like? So you guys talked about models and bottles and how you had to like alter it with like a mass sale. What did you guys do for the marathon run? Yeah, so our run is normally one of our uh, bigger fundraisers. So we still wanted to do it and it is a lot of fun and it's early on. Um, so we moved it online because this was right in September when the pandemic was still very much a thing. Mm -hmm. and there was no hope at that point. So we did it online. So everyone kind of set their own goals, which was nice because it's usually a 5k run and everyone like you sign up and you're running five kilometers. So this year you could set your own goals, whether it be like for every $5, I'll run a kilometer or mm -hmm. Charlotte rollerbladed. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was fun. Um, and then everyone was in a three week period allowed to raise or ask people and try to raise as much money as they could. And then based on their goals, kind of did something fun and got act out there and got active. It was like more inclusive and I definitely yeah. think more people joined than past years because you could do something fun and different like some people could dance if they wanted to or mm -hmm. I think like the fact that like probably not a lot of people were getting out of their house anyway so like this was something you can do individually while social distancing and like setting a goal for yourself something to look forward to yeah mm -hmm. someone to motivate you to get you out of the house to go to the gym yeah and you yeah. roll you roller skated yeah I was doing I think I was doing 10k a day oh because, my god yeah, it was a lot <laughs> Um, and I would do it honestly, I think it was every single morning. Um, yeah, but it was fun. Like I, it really, like you said, it really pushed me to do it. Um, yeah, it was fun. Wow. What is the show going to look like this year? I know it's a little different because of COVID protocol. So, so this year it's all being done online through a pre-recorded video. Um, we hired a videographer company that filmed and edited it all. Um, as well, our head of photography, who is also a student, um, she has also been filming certain scenes and editing things. So it's all being put together. And I think it's going to be around an hour long. It'll be, yeah, it's going to be a lot of different components, but the same amount of talent. And yeah, it's going to be really nice. You can have your own like movie premiere with your friends. Yes. Mm -hmm. in your living room which is, is kind of again like another thing people were doing over a like, quarantine yeah time. and and we can also keep it forever which is amazing too that's a huge okay. highlight for both of us exciting mm -hmm. um how was the rehearsal process like this year um did you guys do in-person rehearsals or online um so for the early stages everything was done online which was obviously very difficult especially for like dance and or dance choreographers would send out videos it was a whole process because you're learning over zoom mm -hmm. um when covid restrictions were kind of lifted a little more and we were close to the show date we did small group um rehearsals um so we split them up in like models specifically into like little bubbles that already existed or houses into like small group rehearsals with masks challenging but 
everyone put in a lot of work and it worked out. Yeah. And yeah. They, we stayed with all the same groups the whole time. So it was the same group of five plus the choreographer. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it kind of took away a bit of that social aspect, of course, but at the same time, it worked really efficiently and we we're very pleased with it. Yeah, I can attest to that. It did work really well, especially like having our own designated groups for each scene. So making sure we're not mixing with anybody else, which is uh, very COVID friendly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now I know like the final couple of days leading up to the big film day was a little stressful. So what did those days leading up to taping look like for the show? Yeah, so those days, like you said, were definitely filled with lots of stress, anxiety, but also so much excitement. Um, we were both just constantly texting each other with new things and whatnot. Um, there were a lot of last minute mishaps and obstacles we had to tackle for sure. Um, for example, we had some sizing issues with one of the collections um, that we had to figure out. Uh, we also had a few missing pieces from some collections that we had to source ourselves, like go out and find things to put in those collections. Um, so there were a lot of last minute things that we were tackling, um, but in the end, it all worked out. And on, on a Sunday was the filming day. Um, I was purely just happy. I think like we didn't have any huge issues on the day up, which was very, very relieving. And I think just yeah. like we, you don't see the process happening because everything was in small groups and you never usually do dress rehearsals and you get to see progress. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of just like, honestly hoping and like planning, but like seeing everything come together. Which yeah. Is, like, awesome to see. Mm -hmm. And I bet because of COVID things were a little bit more difficult because you couldn't like see other groups and like really like have that like one-on-one -on -one connection type of thing with everybody. Yeah, it did work out because it, the filming process, I mean, for me as a model, went smoothly. We're in and out within like an hour. Yeah, yeah. You did sure. a great job of that. Thank you. <laughs> um, how are people able to watch the show or buy tickets? Um, so uh, the show is being released as a video. Um, we're selling tickets on our website. Um, which we found on our Instagram or Facebook um, and we're just selling them. And then the video link will be sent out um, and then people can either choose to watch it once or you can like download the video and then keep it forever, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. And lastly, uh, what can listeners expect from the show this year? Any like new things, any uh, cool editing tricks you guys could like sneak in? Like what, what can we expect? Yeah. So our theme momentum, as we mentioned before, um, because we see it kind of as a progression in time and um, moving forward kind of thing, we decided to organize the show by decades. So we are doing, we're moving from the 60s all the way to the 2000s and a little sneak peek of the present day at the end. So that's super cool. And also with that, we have been able to like talk in the show about social movements and fashion trends and different music and whatnot which is super cool and something that we haven't really done before mm -hmm. um so we're really excited about that and we think that that's gonna look really cool but yeah it'll have the same amount of talent uh in a very new way it sounds like a like a magazine almost but like a, you get to watch it like it's like a film mm -hmm. magazine type of thing 
I think that's yeah. very cool and very creative. Wow. I'm very excited now as a model, <laughs> as a viewer, as someone who's about to purchase a ticket. Like I'm, I can't wait. <laughs> Same um, here. <laughs> so thank you so much charlotte and maddie for coming on air to cfrc 101.9 fm to talk to me about this year's project red charity fashion show thank you for having us thank you yeah no problem if you guys want to buy tickets for project red's fashion show please check out their instagram and facebook to get more information and to purchase the link for the fashion show i'm jessica somersault and thank you for turning into the scoop Here's your weekly traffic report for the week of March 14th to 21st, brought to you by CFRC in the city of Kingston. Road closures are in place this week on Garrett Street near Division, closed until June 30th for construction staging. Local traffic may access Garrett Street from University Avenue. Grenadier Drive at Winfield Crescent expect delays while construction takes place around the Kingston East Community Center site. Flag people will be on site to direct traffic. Highway 15, southbound paved shoulder of Craftsman, expect crews to be working at the site until 5 p.m. March 19th to construct a storm sewer outfall. Highway 33, east of Collins Creek Bridge to west of Coronation Boulevard, expect delays due to construction to improve drainage. Construction barrels and flag people will direct traffic around the work zone. Jackson Mills Road near the KMP Trail, reduced to one lane for roadside safety improvements, but remains open in both directions. Counter Street, Princess to Indian, expect delays until the summer of 2021 while crews construct a new four-lane road and rail overpass. King Street, Collingwood to Lower University, expect delays over the next few weeks as utilities Kingston crews replace hydro poles in the area. Highway 15 at Gore, expect short delays as pieces of the main span of the bridge arrive over the next few months. Trucks expected to arrive after morning rush hour will turn off Highway 401 onto Highway 15 and then onto Gore to reach the bridge's job site at the Cataraki River. Along Counter Street and Sir John A. McDonald Boulevard, expect short delays as large trucks carrying bridge girders up to 150 feet long arrive over the next few months. Trucks are expected in the early afternoon and will turn onto Sir John A. McDonald's from Highway 401 and then turn east onto Counter Street to get to the bridge site at the Cataraki River. Each truck will have a cart escorts to guide it. And that's it for your weekly traffic report. For traffic and other news updates, visit cfrc.ca slash news. Have a great rest of your week, folks. We're back and you're listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM. Just a few news updates for you folks. Yesterday, Dr. Kieran Moore, Medical Officer of Health at KFLNA Public Health, has revised and extended the class order pursuant to Section 22 of the Ontario Health Protection and Promotion Act, originally issued on March 13, 2021. The order has been extended due to a recent increase in cases within the city of Kingston. These revised restrictions will help to ensure protection in our community keep our schools and economy safe and open, and prevent an impact on our emergency medical services and hospital resources within the City of Kingston. The revised class order will take effect from 12 a.m. on Monday, March 22nd, and continue through to 11.59 p.m. on Friday, April 30th. It is issued to all persons in or present in the City of Kingston, along with food establishments in the city. 
In accordance with this order, no person shall host or attend indoor or outdoor social gatherings with more than five persons. Also, all businesses that serve alcohol shall require all patrons to be seated when served. Pick up and take out is exempt. Require all patrons to seat only five persons to a table. Collect contact information from persons seated and not allow dancing or karaoke and ensure volume of music is low enough to allow for normal conversation. Ensure lineup management follows the capacity limits as well as two meters of physical distancing and masking regulations. Dr. Kieran Moore says that cases are increasing at a concerning rate in the city of Kingston and it is clear we must take further action to protect our community. We are extending this class order and asking everyone to adhere to these social gathering limitations. We have come so far and as we provide increasing immunity to our community through immunization, we must all be vigilant and keep our community safe. It is important to remember to stay home, stay local, stay safe, stay alive. Any failure to comply with this class order can result in fines of up to $5,000 for every day or part of a day on which the offense occurs or continues. For the most up-to-date information on COVID-19, visit kflaph.ca slash coronavirus or ontario.ca slash coronavirus. The City of Kingston is pleased to announce three new temporary public art projects. The first is a call for submissions for the 2021 edition of Paved Paradise, and the other two are new exhibits, including the Storefront Public Art Project and the Billboard Poetry Project as part of the Hub Project. These initiatives feature Kingston-based artists and promote diverse cultural expression in a variety of mediums and spaces and places throughout the downtown core. Kingston-based artists are invited to submit proposals for Paved Paradise, an outdoor public art platform of seven pedestrian-level billboards found on the north side of Brock Street at Ontario Street. Now in its fourth year, the selected work will be presented as a temporary project from June to November 2021 as part of the Love Kingston Marketplace program that is reimagining downtown Kingston to help respond to the impacts of COVID-19 on residents, businesses, culture, tourism, and the local economy. The deadline to submit proposals is April 23, 2021. The public art program in partnership with Tourism Kingston and Downtown Kingston presents a series of five public artworks in vacant storefronts created by local artists. At 77 Princess Street, you can see the artwork Cultivate by Marnie McDiarmid and Arriving by Ada Sulks. At 237 Princess Street, you can see Take My Hand by Jennifer Demeter. At 239 Princess Street, you can see Phony Baloney, Dead on Collective, including Kelsey Pearson, Brie Rappaport, and Eric Williams. And at 330 Princess Street, you can see the art Unsolicited Life Advice by Floriana Eninger Cuervo, which is coming soon. Kingston residents are invited to explore downtown Kingston safely to discover new public artworks and learn more about the artists. The exhibitions create new opportunities to work with local artists impacted by the pandemic and will be in place until May 2021. The spaces for these exhibits were generously donated by Carico Group of Companies and Keystone Property Management. Additionally, a new poetry work by Bruce Kaufman has been installed on a billboard at the intersection of Princess and Division Streets as part of the Hub Project. The billboard features poetry-based works by local poets from Jan to September 2021. Kaufman is a local poet, editor, and organizer of literary events, and of course he is the host of Finding a Voice on CFRC every Friday at 4pm, and he's also a recent recipient of the Mayor's Arts Awards. So be sure to check out all these amazing art 
pieces that are around city of Kingston and be sure to support our local artists. It's a great way to show them some support and some help during this really difficult time with the pandemic. Property owners, you should have now received your interim property tax bill. Please plan to pay your property taxes by March 31st. The City of Kingston deferred the interim property tax deadline normally due at the end of February to help alleviate some of the financial pressure caused by COVID-19. Property taxes are an important source of revenue for a city and allow for the delivery of essential services. Property owners are encouraged to use payment options that do not require lining up at the City Hall Payment Center. Payment methods are provided with your bill and can also be found at cityofkingston.ca slash tax. If you plan to pay at City Hall, please wear a face covering and be prepared to maintain physical distance. And if you didn't receive your property tax bill, please call 613-546-0000 8am to 5pm Monday to Friday to ask for it. Failure to receive your bill does not excuse you from payment or from penalties for late payment. Kingston firefighters and a panel of Canada's top carbon monoxide safety experts joined forces online in a virtual event to warn area residents of the dangers of the silent killer. Kingston Deputy Fire Chief Kevin Donaldson, along with Canada's leading carbon monoxide safety advocate John Gignac, Bonnie Rose, CEO of Stu Steaton, and investigator for the Technical Standards and Safety Authority, and John Ward, alarm technology expert from First Alert, delivered vital insights into the lethal gas that is impossible possible for humans to see, smell, or taste. Hosted as part of an Eastern Ontario Public Education Blitz organized by TSSA, the province's public safety regulator for fuel safety, the virtual event revealed that more than 65% of all carbon monoxide deaths and injuries occur in homes. Keeping your family safe is a shared responsibility, says Deputy Fire Chief Donaldson. We are here to respond to emergencies, but it's a homeowner's job to make sure they have working carbon monoxide and smoke alarms in their home. Without them, you are putting your family at risk. John Gignac's carbon monoxide safety crusade is personal. In December 2008, his niece, OPP safety officer Lori Hawkins, her husband Richard, and their two children, Cassandra and Jordan, were unfortunately killed by carbon monoxide in their Woodstock home. Their gas fireplace had a malfunctioning exhaust system, forcing lethal gas back into their home, and they did not have a CO alarm. Following the accident, Gignac created the Hawkins Gignac Foundation for Carbon Monoxide Education to advocate for mandatory CO alarm laws and warn all Canadians about the dangers of carbon monoxide. In 2014, the Ontario government made it law that every home with a potential source of carbon monoxide or an attached garage must have at least one working CO alarm. That law, the Hawkins-Gignac Act, passed with unanimous all-party support in honour of the Hawkins and Gignac families. I can't change what happened to my family, but I can help make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else, Gignac said. Start by having a TSSA certified technician inspect all of your fuel burning devices each year. Then install carbon monoxide alarms outside all sleeping areas of your home. And remember to check that alarms aren't older than the lifespan recommended by manufacturers, usually 7 to 10 years. A provincial regulator for technical devices and equipment in many sectors, a main one being fuels, TSSA routinely partners with community leaders to help enhance the reach of its safety messages. As part of this campaign, a series of information pamphlets are being dropped by Canada Post to Kingston area households in March. 
When most people think about the threat of carbon monoxide, they tend to focus on their furnace, said TSSA regional investigator Stu Seaton. Yet the average home could have four or more fuel-burning appliances that produce carbon monoxide, gas and wood, fireplaces, gas water heaters and stoves, as well as portable gas generators and barbecues are common sources. If these devices are not inspected and maintained, small deficiencies or leaks can have disastrous consequences. Our goal is to help prevent incidents before they happen, said TSSA President and CEO Bonnie Rose. Partnering in communities with local safety experts such as Deputy Fire Chief Donaldson helps get the message out. We all share the same goal, to keep Ontarians safe. Other tips shared at the event included carbon monoxide weighs about the same as air, so CO alarms can be plugged down low into an electrical socket or installed on the ceiling as part of a combination smoke and carbon monoxide alarm. The best location to install CO alarms is outside sleeping areas, not in furnace rooms. Treat every alarm as an emergency. Never presume a ringing alarm is a false alarm. Purchase certified alarms from reputable retailers. And homeowners can find a TSSA certified registered fuel contractor at cosafety.ca. The event continued with a donation of 45 carbon monoxide alarms provided by First Alert, accepted by Deputy Fire Chief Donaldson. The alarms will be provided to area homes in need. We are greatly, we are extremely grateful to First Alert for the alarm donation as it helps provide peace of mind to families who might not otherwise be in a position to purchase an alarm themselves, especially in light of COVID-19, said Deputy Chief Donaldson. Representing the Ontario Municipal Fire Prevention Officers Association, Kingston Fire Inspector Del Blakeney then concluded the virtual event by presenting the Jim Copeland Award to John Gignac. The prestigious annual award recognizes significant contributions made by a citizen or group to the prevention of fire and the public education of life safety in the community. Mr. Gignac responded by saying, I'm humbled that our foundation has been singled out, but educating Canadians about carbon monoxide is a team effort. Fire departments, TSSA, and community groups all play a key role in spreading the word about this deadly gas. More safety tips are available at endthesilence.ca and cosafety.ca. Principal and Vice Chancellor Patrick Dean has announced the appointment of Nancy Ross as Vice Principal of Research following unanimous approval by the Board of Trustees. On behalf of our entire university community, I am delighted to welcome Dr. Ross to her new role at Queen's, where her experience as an administrator and researcher will be critical, Patrick Dean, Principal and Vice Chancellor of Queen's University said, and continues to say that Dr. Ross has an excellent reputation within the research community, and that will be invaluable as we embark upon an ambitious new strategy. I am looking forward to working with her to advance the university's research mission. Dr. Ross, who is currently the Associate Vice Principal of Research and Innovation at McGill University, will succeed Vice Principal of Research Kimberly Woodhouse, who has been interim in the role since 2018. A recognized expert in population health, Dr. Ross is a Tier 1 Canada Research Chair, a member of the Department of Geography, and an associate member of the Departments of Epidemiology, Biostatistics, and Occupational Health and Epidemiology at McGill University. A social scientist by training, her award-winning interdisciplinary research has been funded mainly by the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, and she is past editor-in-chief of Health Reports, Canada's flagship population health journal. 
A proud Queen's alumna, Dr. Ross received her Bachelor of Arts and Master's of Arts degree in Geography. She obtained her PhD in Geography from McMaster University and subsequently worked as a senior research scientist with Statistics Canada, including as postdoctoral fellow with the Population Health Program of the Canadian Institute for Advanced Research. She joined McGill's faculty in 2001. I am very excited to be joining Queen's at this juncture of momentum building Queen's, like McGill, is a U15 member and one of Canada's most research-intensive universities, playing an integral role in the fabric of the nation's research landscape, says Dr. Nancy Ross, Associate Vice Principal at McGill University and incoming Vice Principal of Research at Queen's University. As McGill's Associate Vice Principal of Research and Innovation since 2016, Dr. Ross has advanced the institution's research enterprise by providing strategic advice and counsel to the McGill community. These activities include mentoring researchers during the development of grant applications, leading the implementation of programs designed to increase success in research funding and research intensity, and developing proposals for strategic business and corporate or institutional partnerships worldwide. She also oversaw university-wide efforts to generate and support nominations of McGill researchers for major national and international prize awards. Dr. Ross is a proud Queen's alumnus. She will join Queen's senior administrative team and will oversee the vice principal research portfolio, which includes university research services, Queen's partnerships and innovation, and oversight of university-based research centers and institutes. Queen's is home to 51 Canada research chairs, including a Canada 150 research chair, and attracts approximately $200 million in research income per annum. We are very excited to have her here for her five-year term as vice principal of research on August 1st, 2021. She will be a faculty member in the Faculty of Health Sciences. That's all the news I have for you folks today. Thank you so much for joining us on The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM. Thank you for listening to The Scoop, produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples.